do keep those open. Uh, and you should have some talk notes so you can see where we're going this morning as well. Join with me. Let's pray. Ask for God's help as we come to these wonderful, wonderful verses. Father, what, uh, what a treat, what a feast we've enjoyed from Romans 8 over this term. Thank you so much for all that you have revealed about yourself and how committed you are in love to your people. And Father, as we wrap this up, please, Father, again, embed all these things in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I want to sit down. Sometimes the preacher's job is to stay out of the way of the passage that they are preaching. I don't want to mess this one up. These glorious, glorious, wonderful words describing God's love to his people and the total security that his people have in that love. It's glorious. Read it. Sit down. Pray. Job done. I'm going to try and share some words from these wonderful verses to help unpack them just a little bit for us. Because we have... Uh, as I inferred last week, we, we've reached the pinnacle, the peak of this wonderful chapter of rock-solid assurance. So many things that give us confidence and security in our walk with the Lord. Uh, and the destination, as it were, we've been um, heading up this mountain, and the destination that Paul has led us to is God's love. Uh, in this sermon, I'm going to say God's love, I'm going to say Christ's love, they're interchangeable. Okay, Paul actually uses both of them. So in verse 35, he talks about the love of Christ. In verse 39, he talks about the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't separate the two. And in fact, we experience the Father's love in the love of Christ. The love that God, that Christ have for his people, that is where Paul wants us to end. Uh, I, a number of times through this series, I've pointed out the fact that chapter 8 starts with no condemnation. There is no guilty verdict and therefore no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I've said repeatedly, and that's the beginning and the end, is this no separation from the love of Christ. And this is where we are wrapping ourselves up in Romans 8. Wrapping ourselves up, but where we're wrapping things up in chapter 8. If you are here last week... You, We'll have seen that in these final verses that Delphine read for us, Paul poses five hypothetical questions. Five questions to get us thinking, to assure us of our security that Christians have as God's children. So question number one was, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, nothing. No one. If God is for you, then nothing in this world, indeed beyond this, outside this world, can be victorious, can prevail over you. Simply nothing. Secondly, if he has given us his son, which is the most costly, the biggest thing, well, how could he not also, along with him, give us all things that we need? He's given us the, the hardest. Well, of course he's going to give us everything else too. 
And then the, the next two really working together. Who can bring a charge against God's people? Or who could condemn God's people? No one. Nothing. It is God who justifies. He is the judge. He is the one who has given the verdict of innocence. Therefore, no one could, could bring any charge against us. And, and Jesus, he died. He, he was condemned in the place of his people. Therefore, his people can't be condemned as well. Not only though did he die, but he rose again and he is ascended, is now in heaven interceding for us. No one, nothing can bring any charge. No one can condemn. And then wrapping up these, these five hypothetical questions, again, is this topic of God's love. Have a look down there in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here's our, here's our last question. The, 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 all these questions just evoking the word, no, no one, nothing. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? These verses talking about the total, total security that God's children have. Because it's not nice to be separated from someone who loves you, isn't it? Is it? Uh, maybe at some stage or another you've been involved in a, or even now, involved in a long-distance relationship. Physical separation is difficult. It doesn't have to be a romantic one. It could be friends or, or family. And, and how much easier things are in the age now with FaceTime and whatever, it's so much better. But it's still not the same, is it? Being separated from people we love is difficult. Those in prison often will, will say what the hardest thing for them was the separation. Separation from those they love. It, it's difficult, it's painful to be separated from those we love. And the question here is, well, can we be separated from God's love? In the first four questions, Paul asked the question and I guess left us to think of the scenarios of the things that might kind of might work themselves out. Like who might be against us? Well, we can think of all kinds of people, right? Uh, governments, neighbours, false church, all, all these kind of things. We can think of them. Well, here in these one, Paul actually um, offers some suggestions. So, verse thirty-five: Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Can any of those things? Separate us from Christ's love. Because the focus throughout much of the last half of chapter 8 has been on the suffering that Christians go through, the difficulties, the pains. And Paul here is saying, well, those, that suffering, those difficulties, those pains, can they separate you from Christ's love? Because we've seen that being a Christian doesn't protect you from all harm. Rather, living in this broken and groaning world, Christians go through all kinds of troubles. And being a Christian actually brings on more difficulties and pains. And so the way I want to approach these verses this morning is, is to, 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 to highlight these four things that I put on your sheet there. These four things that Paul wants us to know regarding God's love. Four things to tell yourself when in the midst of troubles and difficulties. Because in one sense, you might not need these right now. Life might be very pleasant and easy and comfortable season of life. That may be for you now. We'll store these ones away, because it won't always be like that. But for some this morning, there'll be real heartache and difficulties that are waiting for you this afternoon. Here are four things 
to know, to tell yourself. The first one, suffering should not be a surprise. Suffering should not be a surprise. Again, let's briefly look at those things that, that Paul mentions there in verse 35. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all, all, all kinds of troubles and difficulties there. And again, some of those things will be experienced by every single human being. Distress and famine, that, that can happen to absolutely anyone. That's part of living in this broken, groaning world. But, but some of those things are because of a Christian's faith. Persecution, facing the sword, facing execution. You see, th these things, all of these things were, were all too familiar to the, the church in Rome that Paul was writing to. And Paul wants them to know that what they are going through is not unusual. Okay, the, the suffering happened to godly saints, God's people, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and beyond the New Testament. And so, he, he, did you see where he, he goes on in verse 36? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul there is quoting Psalm 44. It's one of the Psalms that we looked at in the Psalms of Lament series. Um, about a year ago that we, we looked at. It's, um, it, it's a psalm of devastation for God's people. But the, the, the shocking thing, you, you might remember this, the really shocking thing about that psalm is this statement of being like sheep, being led to the slaughter, follows immediately on from the psalmist's declaration of innocence. So often in the Old Testament, God's people would turn their back on God, went after foreign gods, and therefore God brought calamities upon them to bring them back. That was often the pattern. But here in this sense, it's saying, look, we've not done that. We've not forgotten God. We've not broken covenant with him. We've not gone after foreign gods. And yet, we are like, we're being killed all along, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, even in, in Old Testament times, God's people suffered even when they were being faithful and walking closely with the Lord's. And Paul highlights that to, to remind the Romans too, that what you're going through is not unusual. This is the pattern for God's people. Another description, if you, if you want to, you can look at it later, but it's at the end of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, that chapter which outlines the, the faith of so many, and it describes a whole load of very famous Bible characters, and it ends with an anonymous list of, of, of people. And, and we read these things. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the grounds. Description of what happened to God's people. Those who had faith, who were walking closely with him. The hardships that the believers were experiencing was nothing new. And brothers and sisters, us too, we should not be surprised when we suffer for Christ's sake. 
Now, actually, here now in the UK, in the time and the, the place that we are, the suffering that we experience, particularly for being God's people, is actually minimal. But we live in unusual times. If you go throughout the world today, and particularly if you go back through history, you see that the norm for God's people is not only experiencing the difficulties of living in a broken life, but suffering physically, really tangibly for their faith. But we do suffer. There are ways in which we suffer. And sometimes when we, we do suffer like that, we can have those thoughts, well, if I'm doing suffering, something must be wrong with me. I must be doing something wrong if I'm going through these hard times. Paul is saying, no, that suffering should not be a surprise. It is the experience of all God's people, right back from uh, Old Testament times through the New Testament and indeed beyond into the times that we live. And knowing this helps us to be prepared, to not be caught out, to not wobble when it comes. Secondly, Paul wants us to know that suffering does not mean that God doesn't love you. I really hope we've picked this up already from what we've seen in previous weeks, but we do need reminding constantly. Our natural instincts, and so very sadly, some coming under the umbrella of Christianity say that if God's love you, if God loves you, He will bring you health, wealth, and prosperity. If God loves you, He will make your life easier and more comfortable and more successful. The thing is, if you accept that, well, then the, the reverse is, is, of course, implied. If things are getting harder, more painful, and, and more of a struggle, well, then he doesn't love you. Now, we, we might not think in such extremes, but I think that undercurrent can still be there in our thinking today, too. When the times of suffering and struggle comes, is this a sign that God doesn't love me? Would he really do this or allow this to happen if he did? But Paul wants us to know that suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God's love is not simply an emotion, and God's love is not shown in simply trying to make our lives easier and more comfortable. Rather, we can be sure of God's love because we look back. We look back to how he has shown that love completely and totally. If you just, we're going to look at verse 37 in more detail in a moment, but can you just see, well, let me read it all. Uh, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Just notice the tense of that, loved us. It's not him who loves us. It, it's a past tense, it's pointing back to the fact that God has shown his love in the past. He has acted upon his love in the past. You just flick back a couple of pages to Romans chapter 5. And verse, uh, where shall I start? Let me read from verse 6. Verse 8 is the key one. Let me start from verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Christ loves us. He has proved it. He has shown it conclusively by the giving of his son. Or as verse 8 to verse 32 puts it, he gave up his son. Suffering does not mean that God doesn't love you. And if you're doubting that, well then look back to the cross. See the ultimate expression of his love. He gave up his son. Thirdly, suffering is a time to experience God's victory. In verse 37, what Paul is bringing together the experience of verse 36 and, and the reality of verse 37. He's bringing the, shown those two things. So the experience is verse 36. For God's people feeling like sheep in line to be slaughtered. Often that is the experience Experience for God's people, but what is the reality? Verse 37 No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Christians don't merely survive or squeak through suffering. <sighs> Made it. No, in Christ. We are more than conquerors. Paul there is um, coining like a new phrase. It's we're super conquerors. A new words. It, uh, he's, he's emphasizing the absolute and overwhelming and total victory that, of the salvation that God has won for his people. What does it mean that more than conquerors, super conquerors, they like a, a conqueror, okay, I've, I've beaten it. This isn't, isn't going to affect me. Um, I, I've, I've won the victory or he's won the victory for me, I should say. But it's more than conquerors. Well, uh, one thing I was reading this week, and I helped draw that out a little bit, that well, if you are more than a conqueror, well, that thing that you have conquered isn't just simply there in submission, but it's actually beginning to serve and work for you. And you see again how that fits with the verses that we've seen before, that, for example, verse 28, we know that in all things God works together for good. So that, that suffering, that difficulty, that pain that you're going through is, is actually becomes a servant of God working for your goods. So sufferings are, are fresh times to experience the victory of love that God has won for you and working in you. Christians are not you know, grim stoics who, who manage just to muddle through somehow. Keep going, we'll scrape through, we'll get there. As you know, even in those horrible and painful things, we are more than conquerors. We triumph because of his love. Fourth thing, and, and this, this really is the main one, but, but these other things support and build into. Suffering cannot separate you from the love of God. Suffering cannot separate you from the love of God. Let me read verse 35 again. But who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Can any of those things separate us? I've implied it throughout. Well, I don't think I've, I've said it explicitly throughout. But I want to say it explicitly again here. So the love that is being talked about is God's love for us, Christ's love for us, not our love for him. 
Because if Paul was saying and asking the question, who can separate me from my love of Jesus? Well, the answer is, certainly for me, is almost anything. Almost anything can separate my love for him. If that's what Paul is asking, there is absolutely zero comfort here. And again, I read some things this week that was very much taking that angle and completely twisting the security that this verse is giving. No, no, it's not talking about my love for him. It's his love for me. Who can separate Jesus' love, separate me from Jesus' love? <coughs> Equally, I want to stress that um, the, the, the question, or just point out that the question isn't, will God stop loving me? The question isn't, will God or Jesus stop loving me? I think Paul has conclusively ruled that out in the previous verses. Conclusively ruled out by showing us that the unbreakable commitments that God has for his people, how those whom he foreknew, he worked through that chain to glorification. If God is for us, who can be against us? All, all those things conclusively shown that he will not stop his love. The, the question is, well, can anything get in the way? Is there anything strong enough that might might be a barrier to, to, to get in the way of his love for us. Could an enemy break that bond between him and us? No. That's Paul's clear answer. It's implied in a few verses 35, 36, and 37, and he explicitly lands there in verse 38. For I am sure. For I am sure, here's Paul's conclusion. He knows it with his whole soul. He is utterly confident of this, totally persuaded, committed to this wonderful thing. This is his persuasion, having been a follower of Christ for those years. I am persuaded. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knew what he was talking about. That list back in verse 35, uh, Paul experienced them all. In 1 Corinthians, where he lays out his own experiences, he, he, he lists all of those things other than the fact the sword, other than the fact at that stage he hadn't been killed. Paul had experienced those things, and he himself had experienced them and gone, no, none of those things can separate me from Christ's love. And again, you might think, well, okay, we got the point from verse 35. He's given us these lists of things, and, and the obvious answer is no, but, but Paul goes over it again. He wants, really wants us to get the points. And verse 38, we get these, these pairs of things that Paul brings, which are, uh, are making the point, he means everything. He means absolutely everything in here. So let me briefly just skip through or glance at a couple of these things, though. Death nor life. I'm sure that neither death nor life. Just think of that for a second, because death is the great separator. Is it not? That is a separation that we cannot bridge. A loved one dies. A, a, a marriage vow is until death do us part, or death us do part. I never got that right. I think I got it wrong in my vows. Um, but, but that's the, the point. It goes, it, it's until death parts us. Death is the ultimate separator. But Paul says, well, 
not from the love of Christ. No, no, death cannot separate us from the love of Christ, nor life, whatever it may throw at us, or all those things that Paul's mentioned in verse 35. No, death nor life cannot separate us from God's love. Nor, nor angels, nor rulers. And the translation of rulers is a tricky one. Um, so a lot of translations go for angels or, or demons or kind of spiritual powers. And just think for a second, spiritual beings, huge power we see through the Bible. Uh, it's the seraphim blocked the way for Adam and Eve back to God. Angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. An angel of death is said to pass over uh, Egypt. But no, the power they have, and yet they could not separate a Christian from the love of God. Nor things present, nor things to come. Again, the, 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 the real struggles and difficulties that you may be going through right now. And perhaps for a lot of us, the next one is more things. The things that you fear may come. The future. Whatever the future may hold. Those things that you fear for the future. No, they cannot separate us from uh, the love of Christ. Nor powers, no, no any authority or ruler. Nor height, nor depth. No distance, no nothing. And in case you thought anything might just have crept through. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of those threats will succeed. No one and no thing could separate us from Christ's love because his love is far stronger. And these are the four things that Paul finishes on. The four things that Paul wants us to know in the midst of troubles and difficulties, but he wants us to know them to be prepared now. He wants us to know. I can't remember the first one. What does he want us to know? Test. Not a surprise, thank you. First thing, I haven't got, it, I haven't got my own talk notes here. First thing is he wants us to know that, that the suffering shouldn't be a surprise. It will come. It will come to God's people. But he wants us to know that that is not a sign that he doesn't love us. And actually it is a sign, uh, an opportunity to experience the, the love, uh, the, the total love, salvation, victory, even there. He wants us to know that nothing could ever, ever get in the way. Nothing could break in. How do you judge the love of God? Don't judge the love of God by your circumstances. Look to the cross. If you don't feel loved, look to the cross. See how it's been displayed totally, wonderfully, and nothing could ever, ever separate us from that. Let's pray. Father God, we read these verses and they are, they are wonderful. The things they contain, the promises that they are. Father, it is one thing though to be warmed by them and encouraged by them here sat in this room. Yet, Father, please would these things be so real and true for us in the midst of those troubles and pains and difficulties that maybe even await us this afternoon. 
Father, please, would we cling to these things? Would we remember these things? Even if we're not going through the hard times now, please be, prepare us for them. That we would not wobble in those times, but actually be strengthened in our grasp of Christ's love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.